As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome in. It is the Crawford Talks, an Astros podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Mike Meltzer. He is Jay Kaplan. And for this episode, we discuss the end of the road as the Astros fall 4-2 to the Rays in Game 7 of the ALCS. They were bidding to be the second team ever to make a comeback from a 3-0 series deficit. Could not quite get the job done in game number seven. So we'll talk about the storylines, some of the big storylines from the series in what was a really fascinating postseason run. Jake, how are you? I'm sure you're probably in recovery from some of these uh, late night games the last two nights. Yeah. Can we stop starting games at eight o'clock central? Especially when you're <laughs> when the one of the teams is an East Coast team. Like it doesn't make any sense yeah. to me. But uh, yeah, I just, you know, before we kind of delve into the discussion about uh games five six and seven in particular um i mean that was an awesome series like like the seven days in a row dynamic was really cool um i think you know you don't often get a series where every single game is that highly competitive and close like literally every single game was in the balance in the ninth inning um, yeah and you know, it was pretty intense. So I, I mean, it was both teams played really well. It was a lot of uh, good pitching, a lot of good defense. So it was, it's a really good ALCS. Very good ALCS. If we had talked yesterday before Game Seven, who did you, who would you have said Jake had the advantage in Game Seven based on the pitching matchups? If you believe in momentum, what was your sense before last night? I, I predicted that the Astros would win um, Game Seven. Once they forced game seven, I just thought that they're, I trusted their hitters more than I trusted the Rays hitters. Okay. Um, I thought the starting pitching matchup was kind of a coin flip because both guys are capable of being dominant and also capable of being shaky and giving up homers. Or I guess Morton doesn't really give up homers, more walks a few guys and then, you know, gives up a, a hit here and there. But um, McCullers, you know, ha- had, you know, the start like he had uh, where he gives up a couple homers. So, um yeah, I thought the Astros just because their offense, but um, you know, 
My prediction, uh, again, <laughs> not not <laughs> wrong, although our series predictions were as close as we got to being correct out of all the yeah. series, right? We, we finally got <laughs> we finally got close to hitting one. Um, who, I, who was your MVP pick, by the way? I, for, I couldn't remember when I was thinking about it this morning. Oh, gosh. Because I, I had Willie Adamas, which was – he had a great defensive series but didn't do a ton offensively. Um, I don't think either of us picked a Rosarina, though. I don't think so. I, I know somebody listening is going to remind us. I feel like last Sunday – Did you pick Sunday Blake Snell? I may have picked Blake Snell, yeah. I, I, was, I, was, I was definitely thinking from, from a pitching standpoint that it would be somebody who had – Pitched well a couple times in the series. As it was, I would have been better off going with Charlie Morton because they won both of his starts, even though Arroz Arena deservedly won MVP. I also thought that I know that this is very rarely happened. It only happened in 04, a team blowing a 3-0 series lead. I felt like the 2004 ALCS, I was a freshman in college during that series, and it felt like just a massive, like it was the biggest story in sports. And this became a really interesting story, but I don't, I don't think the stakes were quite as high. And I think playing not in front of fans, neutral site, I think also has something to do with that. But I did think that Tampa had more pressure on them in Game 7 than Houston did. And so I think for, from Tampa's standpoint, Jake, getting off to the good start, a Rose Arena home run in the first, and then Zanino, the, the crushing home run to left field in the second inning, I think was exactly what they needed as far as a recipe for the game to be able to like not think about blowing that 3 nothing series lead and be able to play more loose in this Game 7. I agree. And also just like, having Charlie Morton come out with like nine pitch innings in the first three innings, you know, like he was mowing them down. And I think those two things combined, plus like having Kevin Kiermaier back in their lineup. Um, I think he's a big deal for them. Yeah. I think all, all three of those factors kind of led to that, that feeling early, although the Astros did make it interesting late. Um, you yep. know, and we'll get into Kevin Cash's decision-making in this game in a little bit, but um, it never, it felt like I wouldn't have been surprised if the Astros came back either. Like it, it never felt like it was over until it was over. Yeah. It, which was, which was basically the theme of the, of the whole series. And if you go into the last couple of innings, the Astros, I think had like seven of their last 14 hitters actually get on base, which was a stark contrast to the first five innings of this game. I think the biggest moment was probably the, well, the Yuli grounding into double play and or Bregman striking out against Fairbanks in the eighth inning, something that you rarely ever see from Bregman, but you saw a couple times uh, in this series. Uh, you saw that you saw that kind of rear its ugly head uh, for the Astros, and they couldn't like Correa came through, but the other guys could not. It's like if Yuli Yuli who hit the line drive for a base hit in the ninth, if he had done that two innings earlier, we might be talking about a World Series trip this afternoon. Yeah, I, I think you could make the case that Bregman and Guriel slumps. Um, made the difference in the series for the Astros. Um, Bregman, four for 28 with no extra base hits and only one walk, and he usually leads them in walks. And Gurriel, three for 21 with no extra base hits, although he did have five walks, and he usually never walks. So that was a little interesting. But yes, um, yeah, I mean, I guess Altuve breaking out the last two series kind of made up for uh, some of that. But, um, you know, it... You know, especially with the Guriel at the bottom of the order, it seemed like he was up a lot with in big spots. And oh yeah, you know when Reddick was in the lineup, you know he he doesn't do much offensively anymore. Um, Diaz felt like a little bit more of a threat when he was in the lineup than than Reddick did. And then 
Maldonado at the at the nine hole actually put together a lot of good at bats, but that seven spot with Gurriel just seemed like it kept coming up in in big moments. How much blame do you think Lance McCullers gets? Uh, you know, you can give up home runs, and here I asked the question. Let me give you my answer first. Uh, I I think the worst part of Game Seven is you can't hit a guy. Uh, when he when he, in, in the first bat of the game, like if you give up two solo home runs, so Rosarina and Zanino, I think you can live with that and say, hey, listen, at some point, the lineup's going to have to score some runs to win a baseball game. Uh, the fact that they got the extra run because Margot gets hit to me can't happen in a game seven. Uh, and I think the other part for Lance would be, what about the approach with a Rosarina? Why challenge him with a fastball? They had the post game on TBS uh, after game seven where Jimmy Rollins was focused on how a Rose Arena had really like tracked one of Lance's fastballs earlier in the at bat all the way into the depth of the strike zone. And he felt like the sense I got watching Jimmy is that his interpretation was that a Rose Arena was like really locking in on Lance's stuff. And if you notice closely right before the home run pitch, Lance kind of shook off Maldonado, like took a little walk, came back and then gave up the home run. What did you think of the pitch sequence and in that at bat, considering a Rose Arena was by far the biggest threat in Tampa's lineup? Yeah, and, and the broadcast did mention throughout the series how he was crushing fastballs in the postseason. Um, but at the same time, it seemed like he crushed everything. Like, yeah, I was gonna, I, I remember him hitting a bunch of curveballs all over right, the place. Right, like too. he was covering everything. He was hitting to all fields. Like, I don't. Uh, yep. At some point, you just like you know he was just the hottest player on the planet and um he was the difference in the series that's why he was the mvp um and he was really fun to watch too i would add um kind of the breakout star of the playoffs that i'm sure now will be you know kind of famous going into next year and people will have there'll be a lot more attention on him but um yeah for for me i mean like mccullers giving up two home runs early is obviously uh, puts the team behind the eight ball, but also the pitch count throwing, I think it was 30 pitches in the first inning, 20 in the second. Yep. Um, on a day when you know you don't really have a ton in bullpen and Jose Arquiti's never really looked sharp to me out of out of the pen. He, he's He seems like a different guy, um, starter versus reliever. Well, he walked two guys, which you rarely see because he's always a guy, as you've mentioned, yeah. that pounds the strike zone. Yeah. So, and and I think you have to know that coming in that he might not be that great yes. on short rest. So, like, they, they really could have used five from McCullers, um, which, I mean, I guess arguably if they gave him a chance to to keep going, he might have been able to do. But, um, yeah, the, the home runs, especially after hitting a guy, like you said, that's uh, definitely, you know, put them, you know, behind the eight ball early. And then on the other side, we had Charlie Morton do what Charlie Morton does in game seven. I, I thought you could tell right away in the first inning that he was sharp as far as where he was with command in the strike zone, uh, the off speed pitches plus his velocity. Uh, he was fantastic. And the Rays gave him an early hook in the game and it worked out for them. But that was one of the two or three biggest factors is that Charlie Morton, who was not great in game two compared to what he can be, uh, he brought his A stuff last night in game seven. And, and that was obviously obviously a massive difference maker. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was locating his fastball. He, he was doing whatever he wanted with this curveball. Um, you know, we, I mean, we've seen that before, <laughs> like, uh, we have late in 2017. You saw that version, uh, much of 2018. You saw that version. And you, like you said, you can tell early which version of Charlie Morton you're getting. And, um, when he's on like that, he's, he's pretty close to unhittable with, like he has some of the best stuff in baseball 
And uh, that was one reason I did not like Kevin Cash's hook of him. I get like the third time through the order stats, but, you know, those stats are accounting for the games where he's he's good and the games where he's bad. You have to use your eyes and see what he's doing to these hitters uh, in the in the game you're you're managing. And, um, you know, Nick Anderson was shaky most of the series. Um, like the Astros did do a good job of getting to the Rays a relievers for them for, you know, like I think they did that enough to win. But uh, I agree. But yeah, I, I just like the way Morton was pitching. I thought he could have given them, given them seven on 80, 80 pitches, you know, and I, yeah, I'm, I actually agreed with Cash's hook the, the previous day of Blake Snell. But, you know, Snell was not that good. You know, it, you have to like if the guy's dealing like that, you, you got to let him go. Yeah, that's my biggest thing is that I don't know if I'm Kevin Cash, I would have had a, an enormous amount of faith in my relievers based on what, what's happened in this series. Plus, I, I just thought watching the game that if you're the Astros, you're down three nothing. Your sole goal is to find a way to get Morton out of the game like that. That's that's what you're singularly focused on, because then you feel like if he's out, then at least you're thinking like, oh, we have a chance in this one. And I think. It, put it this way. I like judging decisions in games sometimes by what does the opponent not want you to do? And I think what the and I think what the Astros did not want to have happen is Charlie Morton to stay in game seven. And that's what Kevin Cash. That's how he bailed them out by bringing in Nick Anderson. Now, as it was, you know, Brantley grounds out. And so it did technically work out for him. But you're right. I mean, Morton was pitching so well that it felt like he could go seven or eight innings in that kind of game. Yeah. And I, I don't think I ever expected eight, just given how they do things. But um, I, yeah, I didn't. I, the whole game for Kevin Cash, I, I didn't, like every time he made a decision, I was, I was like disagreeing with it. Um, from like, well, how about bringing how about bringing Peter Fairbanks back in the ninth inning, which I was a little I thought, skeptical. Yeah, about. I thought it was Glass. Now I was like, Glass now is your ninth inning guy, right? And uh, for some reason, he I think he said before the game he wanted to stay away from Glass now, but then Glass now warmed up and got hot anyway. So I yeah, and. I don't know. I actually didn't <laughs> think Kevin Cash had a great series. Um, no, I don't think so. I agree. I think he, he got bailed out by how talented a lot of their relievers are. Um, but I thought he played too conservative in games four and five. You know, when they had a chance to kind of step on the Astros throat, they, yep. they um, you know, started using John Curtis and like their B and C relievers a lot instead of just like going with your horses and shutting it down. Um but I, like I said, I actually agreed with the game six, Blake Snell, uh, with Diego Castillo move. You know, you may so you, you maybe give you maybe let Snell face Maldonado there, but I don't think you let him face Springer a third time. Uh, it just didn't work because because Castillo didn't execute. But in the moment, I I agreed with the decision. Okay, so you a lot of people I saw did not like the decision to take Blake Snell out of the game. Like they were pretty adamant that that was a that was a big mistake by Kevin Cash goes, and Blake Snell seemed to feel that way. He goes to a three ball count on every batter. Like, I, yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, like that's the difference with Morton. Morton went to like one three ball count in the whole game. Like, and and the damage against Morton was a walk to Maldonado, who suddenly doesn't chase anymore, and um, <laughs> a weak infield single to third base with their fastest the Astros' fastest runner go into first base in Altuve. Like, I, he didn't deserve to come out of the game, I thought. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah, that yeah, that makes sense. I mean, he I, I was I understood what he was doing because ultimately he Kevin Cash in game six was bringing in his best reliever, right? Like yes. Castillo is is their closer. And I don't think he had given up an earned run in the postseason. Then all of a sudden it's like, OK, you know, the, the bunt really actually kind of changed things. The Maldonado bunts, right? The, the Astros mm-hmm. and most teams don't don't really go old school. But all of a sudden it's runners on second and third with one out. Springer uh, Springer singles through that right side that's empty and then Altuve doubles and away you go. So what I liked about the decision is at least it made sense to bring in somebody in Castillo who was a great option out of the bullpen. Um, yeah, sometimes the guys the, just don't execute, right? Like you. Yeah, I agree. You, I mean, if you, yeah, basically what I'm saying is like Castillo has always been really good in the postseason. So why is it such a huge mistake to bring in a reliever? I have a friend of mine who who's more old school, and he was texting me. He's like, okay, well, you can you can argue to me that it makes sense to bring in these relievers, but I'm going to ask you why pay starting pitchers if these if these starters are constantly taken out in the fourth and fifth inning of playoff games. Well, that was which actually, I didn't really have an answer to. That was actually something <laughs> I thought about yesterday. Was like why are you paying Charlie Morton 15 mil if you're going to take him out after 60 pitches or whatever it was, you know? Yes. Um, but I, I don't know if any other team does what Kevin Cash did yesterday in game seven. Like I know starters come out earlier and earlier and earlier and the Dodgers have been doing this too, but like I'm not sure any other manager takes out their starter the way Charlie Morton was pitching. I agree. I think this is probably the only organization in baseball that would have done that. Uh, my my thought overall in the series is that the Rays the Rays have been a better team than the Astros as far as the series went. I think it was a it was a pretty close series. I don't think that like the wrong team won or anything like that because on balance, Tampa, I think their defense was better. I think they played a little bit sharper. And from that standpoint, I think the right team probably ultimately won. Like when I look back at what happened the last three or four days, I think the moment where Tampa was probably going to win is in game five when they came back with the home runs. But then and but then the way the Astros won when they won the game in the ninth inning with a walk off, having to being able to save from Valdez completely changed the way the series went. So I think in a more normal situation, the Rays win game five and it's like a four to one, pretty clearly the better team won. That's how I look at these seven games. Yeah, it's it's hard. It's hard to, to I don't, it's like every either team could have won any of the seven games. Right. So theoretically, it could have been a yes. sweep in either direction or a seven game series that went in either direction. Um, yeah, I think I mean, the, the Rays 
they went 40 and 20. Um, they beat the Yankees. They beat the Astros. Like they're definitely deserving AL champion. Um, you know, in the playoffs, anything can happen. And the Astros were, were pretty close to, to pulling off something we didn't think. Uh, I don't think anyone thought they could in coming back down uh, from 3-0. Um, you know, I thought they played a really good series. I thought Dusty Baker had a good series outside of the Garneau decision in game three. Um, <laughs> but otherwise, like I thought he had a really good series. His, you know, the, the bullpen game in game five, which was a, a key turning point, like you said, with the walk-off, like they executed it perfectly. And, and the, the odds were against them in that game, given the, the two bullpens. Um and again, I thought like if Cash uses maybe some of his more dominant guys in that game, maybe it's different. Although they only gave up three runs before the ninth, so maybe not. Um, yeah, it was just like it, it was a good series. Like both teams played really well, um, you know, and, and the Rays who struck out more than almost any team in a seven game <laughs> series ever, you know, they they won and lost by the long ball, really. Yes. Yeah, they really didn't. They really didn't hit for big stretches, and so I think that's that. That's one of the that, that's one of the things that became a storyline in the middle part of the series when the Astros started making the comeback. Is well, the Rays have been getting by on pitching and defense, but they've been able to overcome what's quietly been a pretty significant lack of hitting. Uh, but eventually, again, I, I think the key thing with Game Seven is when all of this happened: a Rose Arena in the first, Zanino in the second inning after blowing a three nothing series lead. The fact that they were able to get to, to a good start, I think, was critical for them. Yeah, um, the Astros. I, think, I mean, the I Astros are always going to give up. The Astros are always going to be prone to home runs the way they pitch too. Like. Makes sense. The, the high four seam fastball gets a lot of swing and misses, but when when a hitter connects, it can go a long way. So, and and, and that's where, and I don't know if, if Lance specifically addressed this last night. I think that's where like hitting Margot is just a killer in a game like this. I I keep looking at this box score and it's four to two, and I'm like, it should have been three to two, which makes the game feel closer throughout. Like you just you can't give you can't give them base runners in a game seven that that just that that's what cannot happen in that spot and that insurance run against Turkey's obviously huge too um absolutely um Blake Taylor had a really good series though coming in after him uh yeah he had a good series yeah a uh, totally ones. agreed yeah um For, former guest of uh the Crawford Talks podcast <laughs> that's right that's right that was like another lifetime ago but yeah it feels that way um Jake I want to I want to talk about Carlos Correa because this to me is one of the massive themes of the postseason this 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 series specifically and I know that you might disagree I have thought this since the moment that Carlos Correa talked to Ken Rosenthal in February and talked to you guys that same Saturday as well I think the moment when he defended the Astros against the attacks of Cody Bellinger and others he has become, for me, the face of the franchise. Uh, and this is not something I was expecting whatsoever. I think he has become the leader of the team. Now, I don't play on the team. So this is just me looking at it from the outside. And I thought the moments when Yandy Diaz, for whatever reason, is yelling at Framber Valdez in game six and Correa kind of settles everything down and then goes to Framber and starts like reaming him out. <laughs> Yeah, basically, like I, I thought, honestly, it was like, I don't care what team people are a fan of or if you're like objective or whatever. That was like an inspiring moment. Like I was looking at some of the reaction and it got, Jake, it got the reaction of like a lot of people on the outside were like, you know, I I hate Carlos Correa, but that was awesome to watch. 
And I thought it was awesome to watch. And I could have never predicted this thing when I think about what's happened the last couple of years, like with the weird massage thing and the injuries and some of his off-field image stuff. Uh, I This is not what I was expecting in 2020. But to wind up this like monologue here, I really believe that the moment that he started talking to Ken Rosenthal that February, Saturday, I think Correa became the face of the Houston Astros. I don't think he's the face of the Houston Astros. I think he is um, maybe their top leader on the team, and he's definitely their top leader on the field. I'd actually say him and Maldonado are like the two leaders in the field. Um, That makes sense, yes. From like a a field general standpoint. Um, I, I For me, like face of the franchise is kind of a different thing. Where like you, it's like who do you think of when you think of the Astros? And I still think that's Jose Altuve, um, because of the the sustained stretch of success. And you know, Altuve has been to what six or seven All Star games. He's been an MVP. Whereas Correa is really really good, but he's been to I think one All Star game. He's you know missed a lot of time with injuries. He's only got one more one year left with the Astros potentially. Whereas Altuve is locked up long term. So I, I kind of I don't think of his face of the franchise, but I, I understand your point. And I think he definitely took on, um, you know, I think he was always a leader, but I think it, it he took on a bigger leadership role this year. He's willing to speak his mind. He's willing to stand up for his teammates. Um, and, you know, he, he was definitely the most outspoken Astro this season, for sure. Yes. Well, on that point, to piggyback off of that, there are a lot of athletes, and this is not a criticism, but I think most athletes, Jake, They cannot wear the black hat. They cannot be hated. I think LeBron, when he went to Miami, tried to, for that first year, be like a villain. And I don't think LeBron can do that. I think he's somebody who wants to be liked. I think most of us want to be liked. There are very few athletes in sports who can truly relish the role of being hated. And I don't know how the hell this happened. I truly don't know. Because I think about, like, (laughs) it's almost like Correa's image took a a hit. Uh, And it started with, like, after the World Series proposing to his his girlfriend. Like, I think people started to, the next couple of years, feel like he wanted to be, like, on one of the coasts in, like, some reality show. And, like, of all people, especially, like, I, I just remember all the commentary when he got hurt last season with that whole massage thing. People were so out on Correa. And everything, like, changed after that interview. And I just, he has somehow relished this role in a way that, Alex Bregman can't in a way that Jose Altuve certainly cannot like Carlos Correa can actually be hated. He can actually wear the black hat and he has somehow thrived in this scenario. And I would have never predicted that a year and a half ago, like not a chance. Yeah. At the same time, though, if he had a bad postseason, we wouldn't be having this discussion, right? It ultimately comes down to the performance. Um when we're talking about the leader, like you can't be a leader without being one of the best players performance wise. Of course. And yes, he didn't have a good regular season, but in the playoffs, he I mean, was he, incredible. And like the last three weeks, it was like the 2015 superstar on the rise Correa, right? Not, yes. not the regular season inconsistent guy who, who, you know, didn't hit for any power. Like he had more home runs in the postseason than he did all regular season. Um, so I, I think like performance, we, we're good at recency bias, right? And um, he just had a really good series, a really good postseason. Um, 
another guy who you might consider for face of the franchise, Alex Bregman, did not, right? So we're thinking more about Correa than Bregman. So, yes. um, I don't know. I, I hear well, your well, argument, but let me, um, yeah, go well, ahead. Let me push back a little bit. So he, here's my thing. I agree that a bunch of what I'm saying has to do with the postseason, which I'm not going to deny because part of it is Correa with this postseason has added on to his resume of being able to come through in some of the biggest moments. And that adds to this whole image thing. But I do think even postseason aside, I do think this is somebody who like for like if you had asked me on September 25th, which of the Astros handled uh, wearing the black hat or being hated? Correa would have been the first one to like come to mind, even though he wasn't very good offensively in the regular season. He was fantastic defensively, which was interesting. Uh, I, I just thought that like the way that he fit this role is still kind of astonishing to me. Like I, I just I would if you had asked me, let's say, you know, last year at this time, if something really bad happened and the Astros became hated, like who would thrive off that environment? I would say Bregman would thrive off that environment, but he didn't. And Correa somehow did. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it doesn't surprise me as much. Like, I don't think he's ever really cared what people thought of him. Um, maybe he maybe he has. But that uh, this year, he certainly didn't. didn't. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if for some reason him being that guy didn't surprise me as much. He's he's always been honest. Like in interviews, he'll speak his mind. Like um, if he has something to say, he'll say it. Like and you know he certainly did that this year when when a lot of other guys didn't like speak out and you know for understandable reasons, right? The whole world was against them. But Correa, even in that moment um, in spring training, took it upon himself to. You know, when, when at a time when, you know, those guys lost all benefit for the doubt, right? Uh, he still wanted to defend Altuve and, and speak out. Yes. So, um, I don't know. Maybe it just doesn't – maybe knowing him a little bit, it doesn't surprise me as much. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I mean, you've covered him for the last couple of years, so you would definitely know him way better than I do. Let's take a listen to Correa after Game 7 of the ALCS. I thought he said a, a, a few notable things uh, in the post-game Zoom. I'm just proud of this team, man. It's, uh, it's been an unbelievable ride. I've never had so much fun playing baseball as, as I did this year with this group of guys. Um, you know, everything, the pandemic hit, spring training 2.0 in, in, in Houston, and you know, Berlander going down, Osuna going down, Albers going down. Um, and, you know, we still, we, still we, we didn't give up, we didn't fold. We kept battling. Um, you know, we, we got to the playoffs, nobody gave us a chance against Minnesota. We won two games against Oakland. You know, they beat us throughout the regular season. We came up huge and we won that series. And then down 0-3, everybody was talking about Astros getting swept and this and that. We come back for game seven. Um, obviously not the finale that we wanted, but that's I'm just proud of this team, and it's, it's been unbelievable. Jake, what stood out to me about that quote, if you had asked me in, let's say, I don't know, May, fun is not something I would have expected to hear about this season because of the sign-stealing storyline, what this season was going to be like playing during a pandemic. So that's what stood out that, 
Correa felt like this season was fun, which I would not have anticipated if we had had the same discussion in, let's say, April or May. I mean, did it look fun to you? It didn't look fun to me until, like, for them, they didn't look like they had fun until the last three weeks. Yeah, I agree with that. And, like, he, he said that, and then he, like, listed, like, seven objectively not fun things pandemic <laughs> Berlander goes down Osuna goes down Alvarez goes down like I was like I was a little confused by that quote but uh I, I mean the last two three weeks when they're in the playoffs they certainly looked like the the Astros of of old that have fun but in the regular season um you know they it didn't look like a super fun experience with you know the all the the protocols and playing with no fans and who are you, Carl Ravitch? What, what's happening here? I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm saying like all around, like I don't think this was like an enjoyable, like even uh, Zach Greinke, who, who always tells the truth, said it was yes. the le- least fun season of his career. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I mean, I get the playoffs being fun, but the whole year being fun doesn't it didn't really scream fun to me. What does this do for Correa's future? Because I think a lot of people expected after this, after the next, you know, two seasons after 2021, that Correa is probably going to be too expensive for them, which may, which is probably the smart money anyway. But now that this has happened and he has sort of emerged, depending on who you are as maybe a face, certainly one of the one of the top leaders on the team. How do you think this affects Correa's possible future in Houston and the way that James Click and especially Jim Crane are going to think about it? Yeah, it's interesting. Um because, like, he's only got one year left, right? So you have to weigh his value in one year versus the odds that you think you have to lock him up, which are, you know, it's possible. He's so young that he's, like, the rare free agent where he might justify, a, a, like, the first mega deal in franchise history, right? Um, what's he going to be, 26, 27? So... And then you also have to yep. weigh like what he might bring back if you were to still consider trading him, which I think before this season, uh, maybe before the postseason, a lot of people would have thought might be an offseason thing. And it, it was a little bit of an offseason thing last year. They, they certainly considered it. Um, but I, I don't think you trade him now because he's clearly such an uh, important part of the team. He's such a leader. His defense, like you would, you would miss it right away, right? Like the... The arm, oh, yeah. on every double play, on every relay throw, like he's so valuable, and he's he's all of his injuries have suppressed his own salary, right? So he's not making a ton of money. Um, so I think he's he's too valuable to the team to to trade him. But um, yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. Like I don't know. I have no idea what what he's going to get in free agency in a year. Uh, how int- how likely it is that that the Astros would would be able to come to terms with him. Um, you know, he plays in a league yeah, position. He's, he's young. He, he shows flashes where he's, he's the, the guy we all thought he would be, but then he also shows he's, he gets hurt or he shows flashes where he's not that good. So he's really hard to figure out. Well, that, that's the thing. If you look at Correa, he has certain things that are really going for him that when he plays at his peak, he's 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 one of the best players in baseball at a premium position in which he plays, uh, especially now, fairly elite defense. On the other hand, you have a history of injuries, some weird ones, but also some that you worry be, would be structural, like the back issue that he had in 2017, uh, 2018 uh, as well, that I know A.J. Hinch was concerned about a number of times. 18 the Astros, 19. 18 or 19, sorry. And 
obviously the Astros know his health better than literally any team would know his health. So they'll have that sort of edge. But and he also has the advantage that he's also very young. Unlike George Springer, he's going to be hitting free agency at the age of, you know, 26, 27 versus 31, 32. But he also has not had the career that, let's say, Francisco Lindor has had where you look consistently and he's been able to play, you know, full seasons in the last five years, you know, putting up pretty high wars consistently. So I don't know if Correa is like definitively in the category of players, you would say, hey, he's slated for one of these massive mega deals because he's got certain things weighing for him and then certain things weighing against him to put him in that category. Yeah. And also the the post um, COVID economy right like the pandemic economy yes this is not going to be just affecting this free agent class it's going to be affecting free agent classes for a while so um does that make more players sign extensions maybe i don't know um does it make teams sign less players to extensions that's also possible right so um it's uh i think the likeliest outcome with astros and correa is probably just play out the final year um, worst comes to worst, you, you get a draft pick out of it, you know. Um, but I think he's too valuable to their chances to win in 2021, and you don't want to ruin your chance if you have one to re-sign him after that. I, I think you and I are in complete agreements. I think what this season and especially the postseason have done is establish him him as one of the key leaders of the team to the point where they're not going to even consider trading him in the offseason and he will be uh, in the lineup health permitting whenever opening day 2021 is. Uh, here's what I want to do. So we're going to have an episode on Thursday that's, that focuses more on the whole season, the pluses, the minuses, and especially the future to pre- kind of preview the big offseason decisions. George Springer, Michael Brantley, what they do if they lose those guys. But I do want to also hit on this, Jake, since we're discussing a lot of what happened in this series in the ALCS. The meaning of the playoff run. This is my take on what's happened the last two to three weeks. The Astros, in my mind, gained a lot of respect around Major League Baseball. Maybe in the places where other fans don't like to think about, but like I really got the sense, and I sampled a lot of talk radio on Friday and Saturday, just wanted to hear people's takes on this series. And I heard a lot of like, well, I hate the Astros, but I'm kind of rooting for them to like see what would happen if they made the World Series. Uh, and I, I got the sense of a lot of like grudging respect that even though they tarnished their World Series, that what they did by getting to the ALCS and making this comeback from three nothing is that people had to grudgingly respect like, hey, listen, this is still a team with a lot of talent and a team that. Uh, I know this is kind of cliche, but like does have the heart of a championship team and that it's hard to kill them and that they will show up in the big spots. They will not always come through, but you even go back to last year, like they should have won that World Series. But what we don't really talk about because of the way game seven went is they should have lost it earlier because of what happened in games one and two, but they went to Washington and they swept them over that weekend. Like that's a really hard thing to do. And it's been a consistent theme of this team the last four years. And I think this playoff run, uh, I think, is important for them in the way that they're going to be viewed across Major League Baseball, even if people don't say it out loud. Um, I'm not sure, honestly. I think, I think the fans who thought that these players were only good because of the trash cans uh, weren't paying attention 
to the other seasons and just um, weren't reading like the actual facts of what happened in which years. And so maybe those are the people who are like, oh, they are actually good. But like, I think anyone who was actually like paying attention and read up on, on the, like the years that there's proof that there's, you know, there's evidence of, of cheating on uh, and what happened and what it means and all that stuff um, probably understood that this, these players were still very good. Um, And, you know, I think, I don't think they gained respect among other players um, in on other teams. I think those players on other teams are still going to hold, you know, harbor the same uh, feelings about being screwed over in 2017 that they did before. But um, I guess maybe, maybe just for people who weren't really paying attention and thought that it was all trash cans, maybe, I guess maybe that changes their perspective, but I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. What do you think was the meaning of the playoff run? Um, I think the like going forward, I think it it, it there's a there's a chance that it helps all these young players. Um, you know, Kyle Tucker played a little bit in the playoffs last year, but he got to play every day this year. Uh, all these young pitchers like Framber Valdez and Jose Urquidy and Christian Javier and Noli Perez and Blake Taylor and even Luis Garcia, like they're gonna be key parts of the team going forward. And so now they have playoff experience, high level playoff experience. It's not just like they pitched in the wild card round and, and that was it. Well, they, got, they got to pitch in three rounds. Um, you had a great quote from Dusty in your story in the athletic, which I encourage people to check out where, you know, Dusty talked about how like, you know, the classic Dusty Baker name drop, but like Ernie Banks and on other guys, Dick Williams, like they never played at, at the level that some of these guys got to, which is kind of crazy to think about. Yeah, I mean, we probably lose sight of it because we follow this team and they make the ALCS every year, but it's it's hard to make the ALCS. <laughs> um, Absolutely. So, yeah, like I think that that has to help this team going forward, that all these players have that experience. At the same time, though, you know, hopefully there's fans in the stands as soon as, as possible where it's safe. And, um, you know, I think that's kind of a different ball game altogether, right? Like for these young players, like it's almost like another experience with fans yes. in the stands versus when, when like it's when we're back to full stadiums, I mean, not 10,000. Um, so different dynamic. Yeah. So it's it's like how much does the experience of the no with no fans matter? I think it matters, but I'm not sure. It's an interesting argument, an interesting conversation. The other part I wanted to mention uh, real quick, Jake, is uh, so I, I do I stand by what I said. I think that this run was meaningful for them in context of sort of backing up their success of the last couple of years. The other way I would take it is this. When we think about a window of time for a team to compete for a championship, they lost Verlander, they lost Osuna, Jordan Alvarez played in two games this season, and yet ultimately, even though they fell short, the Astros competed for the World Series championship this year in a way that would not have been true had they lost in two or three games to Minnesota. This team, you know, was basically 50-50 or so to win game seven of the ALCS. And I think they would have lost to the Dodgers. I think the Braves would have been a, a complete toss-up um, as far as that hypothetical series goes. But ultimately, in the last year of George Springer and Michael Brantley, possibly, they actually competed for a World Series. So I think that's another way that people need to frame it, that they didn't kind of go out meekly 29-31, and 31, sneak into the playoffs, losing the first round. They actually competed 
for a championship during this window of time that is so rare. Yeah, I think that's that's right. And I think that's something we should remember uh, in the future, especially if they expand the playoffs permanently, which it sounds like they want to do. Um, you know, everyone's going to freak out the next trade deadline when, when their team doesn't do anything. Everyone's going to freak out when their team has a bad week and maybe doesn't win their division, but still makes the playoffs. Um, there's a reason that like, the, just like the the biggest deal for these front offices is just like make the playoffs because a lot of the rest of it is is fluky and luck and who performs at the right time and you can't predict it and um so like in the middle of the season when we were saying the ask when Verlander was out and we're saying the Astros aren't a World Series team like we shouldn't do that right because as long as you get into the playoffs anything <laughs> can happen so I just think it's another reminder of you know, October is so unpredictable. Wildcard teams routinely go to the World Series. And, um, you know, just because, like, there's a team that lost its best player or its best pitcher or didn't make a trade deadline move um, and isn't didn't have a good regular season, it doesn't mean they're not a contender. You're right. Uh, and I was the guy who was saying for the first, you know, three or four months of this thing that Justin Verlander is not allowed to get injured for the Astros. Like, that's just not something that, that can happen. And you would have basically hit me over with a with a bowling ball or something with, or a bat if if you had told me in May that Verlander would make a start, then be out for the season. Jordan was out and this team, this team would be playing in the ALCS in game and, seven. Like that would have and Grenke, absolutely floored me. And yeah. Zach Greinke was like their third or fourth best starter. Yeah, I mean, the fact that they were relying on guys like Framber Valdez and Christian Javier and Luis Garcia and Paredes, like guys who would have, we had mentioned kind of casually in March, it's it's really kind of stunning some of the things that, that have happened, but that's sports for you. And it was a, a really enjoyable playoff run to kind of discuss and decipher. So here is the plan. So next Thursday, we will have like one more episode sort of on schedule here with the Monday and Thursday releases. And we're going to focus more on recapping the whole season because the, the interesting thing is even if they had lost to Minnesota or Oakland, I still think the season had a number of positives from a young player standpoint. So we're going to talk about that plus all the big offseason questions. Should the Astros re-sign George Springer? How much money is he worth? What about Michael Brantley? What do they do with the outfield? How do they set up the roster heading into 2021? We will discuss that in the next episode. Thank you guys for tuning in. This has been the latest episode of the Crawford Talks, an Astros podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.